So I, I, I don't even know where to begin to tell you guys how excited I am to be here on this particular day to celebrate the particular events that this day uh, is set aside to celebrate. And, and it is awesome to be here. I mean, the events we're celebrating are the kinds of things uh, that, that are talked about when we recognize and realize the magnitude of what they are. Now, as a matter of fact, in our culture, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, we have a particular kind of saying, uh, uh, a thing we talk about when we want to talk about uh, the spaces where important conversations happen. I don't know if you've ever read this. Uh, if you've read a business book or you've read um, a sort of event planning or, you, or you're in the community communication world. Uh, as a communicator, you've probably come across this, but have you ever guys ever heard of the water cooler conversation? How many of you guys have ever heard of that? Water cooler. Yeah, I see a lot of you have. See, the water cooler conversation in our cultural context is this very, very special place where people, after encountering something, are going to go and talk about it in their free time around the water cooler. So we often say, uh, in communication terms or after an event, if it goes really well, then next week this is going to be the conversation at the water cooler, right? Because that's where you take a break from work, you take a break from the hustle and bustle, you're heading to the break room, getting some water, and whoever's there, what you end up talking about there is the stuff that matters to you most. Now our culture, that's a pretty cool way of putting it, the water cooler, but, but our culture doesn't, doesn't hold a, 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 what is it, a stick, a, a leg, an arm, I don't know, uh, d- d- does not, it cannot stand up against uh, against how it used to be in some of the ancient tribal cultures. Some of the ancient tribal cultures actually had a space too that they had set aside for important conversations, for the place where the big news is shared. And you know what they called it? You ready? The shouting grounds. Ooh. Let, let, me, let me put them together for you and you tell me where we stand, right? The water cooler. The shouting grounds. I mean, don't you want to go to the shouting grounds? Where do you want to go? Water cooler or shouting grounds, baby? I want to go to the shouting grounds. And, and so they used to talk about this in, in ancient tribal cultures where when really big news hit and, and there was really important stuff to say, that you would go out to this space that was reserved only for when you had something to shout about. And it was called the shouting grounds. And so when something awesome happened, you would say, let's head out to the shouting grounds and go tell some people. When you walk through the journey of the time that Jesus spent on this planet and the encounters that he had with people, what you will find as you travel through that journey is that every encounter that he has with a human being, those encounters were the kinds of events with the kinds of outcomes that you would want to take to the shouting grounds. I'm telling you, they were not water cooler conversations. You didn't go, oh, let's go chat by the water cooler about that. You were like, bring me to the shouting grounds. Can you imagine what it might have been like to, to be on that street on that particular day when Jesus was uh, kind of coming through and a couple of the religious leaders called the Pharisees had, had found a woman that they'd actually caught in adultery and so they're dragging her out onto the street and she's, she's going nuts and she's trying to get away and they've got her by the arms and they're bringing her out and they throw her at the feet of Jesus and you're just standing on the street and you're like, man, what is, what is going down here? And as they throw her before the feet of Jesus, they say to him, we just caught her in adultery, what are you going to do? 
And now, 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 you're, now you're pretty curious, aren't you? Because you're watching, you're like, man, where is this going to go? And if you're Jewish, you already know this is going to be a troubling scenario. And here's why. Because if Jesus says we need, we need to affect the Jewish law on her and punish her according to Jewish law, then he will be doing something that's illegal in Roman law. But if he says, since the Romans don't allow us to do that, then he will be doing something illegal in the Jewish law. And so either way, whatever decision he makes at this point, the religious leaders have him, and he will be either arrested by the Romans or undone as a godly rabbi. So aren't you curious? I'm curious. I'm standing there like, whoa, where does this go? And then what does he do? What does he do? First, he takes a stick and he draws in the sand. It's in the Bible. I've I've said this before, but I'm telling you, man, when I die, I'm going to ask him, but I think he was counting backwards so he didn't kill the Pharisees. (laughs) Ten, nine, eight, deep breaths, seven, six, okay, I think I'm ready. Sticks the stick in the ground and he looks up and he goes, okay, I'll tell you what. How about the first person here to throw a stone, how about you throw the stone if you have no brokenness, no sin, no wrong anything in your life? Go for it, go for it. And the first people to leave it actually says, the people who were older left first. Do you know why that is? Because they're smart, because they're wise. They've lived long enough and they're like, that ain't me, I'm out of here. The teens were the last ones there with a rock, like, do I throw it? You're like, Learn from the others. Go away. And so they roll out, and here's this woman, and Jesus gets on his knees, and he has this incredible conversation with her. No one has condemned you, nor do I. You are free. And she gets up set free. And if you're standing watching that, that is not the kind of stuff you go to the water cooler with. That's the kind of stuff you go to the shouting grounds with. And you go, man, I can't wait to tell somebody what I just saw. Can you imagine if you were there? At the funeral procession, you happened to be one of the people that was in that village and the mom who had just lost her husband recently and is widowed now has lost her only son and you are in the, in the procession with that. And you happen to, as you're going down the road, you happen to encounter Jesus. Now, he wasn't happenly by accident there. He was there on purpose, but you wouldn't have known that. And so you're going along, and Jesus sees the funeral procession. Can you imagine what it might have been like if Jesus walked up, and you're watching, and he goes up to the guy that's dead, that, you're, that they're carrying, and that's the old, oldest son, or the only son, and he says to him, listen, man, your mom needs you. You need to get up. Now, he didn't say it exactly that way, but that's the way I would have said it. He says to him, look, rise up. And the dead guy gets up and stands up. And the widow's like, what just happened? And she hugs him and everybody's like, ah! And it says, word spread throughout the entire district. Do you know why? Because that is worthy of the shouting grounds, man. When you encounter Jesus, imagine if you were on the road to, to Jericho and the blind guy was sitting on the side of the road and, and he was like, Ooh, what's going on? And it's, it's just Jesus. Don't worry about it. He's like, mercy, mercy. And Jesus goes, bring him to me. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus just puts his arms on him and says, what can I do for you? And he goes, I want to see. And Jesus goes, okay. And he can see. And it says, all the people praised God and followed him. I mean, that's shouting grounds material. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, sold his soul to the devil. That's what the Jewish people would have thought. He was now Roman. Jesus hangs out for 30 minutes in his house, and the man is utterly transformed. Do you know the talk of that town? 
Zacchaeus, the cheater. Zacchaeus, the, the robber. Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. Zacchaeus, the, the most hated man in Jericho, is now Zacchaeus the generous. Zacchaeus, the, the, the kind. Zacchaeus, the man who is selling everything to restore people to where they once were. That is shouting grounds material. See, that's the thing with Jesus, whether it was healing the guy that was paralyzed or the blind or the sick or the dead or the broken or the invisible. It didn't matter. Every time you encounter him, when he's done with the story, you want to go to the shouting grounds with that. And it wasn't just in what he did. It was also in what he taught. The Bible actually says oftentimes as he teaches, the people will say this, how does this man teach with such authority? What they mean is, how does he come up with this stuff? It's unbelievable. It's mind-blowing. There was one time in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is teaching on the side of the mountain. We, we know it as the Beatitudes, where he's kind of covering a number of different realities that are, that, that are missed in our human experience. And he goes into anger. He goes into a marriage covenant. He goes into our enemies. He goes into money. He deals with all the stuff of our dailiness. And every time he starts like this, you have heard it said. And then he fills in the blank. And then he goes, now or but, and then he says something else, and you're like, pull out the smartphone, write this down, we're tweeting it 5,000 times. I'm gonna get a trillion likes on this. Because when he said stuff, it was inside out, it was upside down, it was everything opposite to what you might think, but when you heard it, you were like, how does he do it? You remember when he fed the 5,000 supernaturally, and then he fed the 4,000 at another point supernaturally? Why is he feeding all of these people at the end of every day when the sun is setting? Well. He's feeding them because they don't leave. They come and all day they stay with him. And as long as he teaches, they stay. You guys roll in here for 60 minutes and you roll out. Jesus would do this all day long and you wouldn't budge. And you'd be starving. And he'd say, go. And you'd go, no, I'm staying. And so he'd go, all right, well, here, here's some fish and bread. And there would be plenty. See, when people were around Jesus and he taught, it was shouting grounds material. But that was not the only way he taught. He didn't only teach to the crowds. Oftentimes, Jesus would gather just a few, very often just the 12, the 12 disciples, and he would take them off somewhere. And we have, we have eyes on that because God allowed them to write some of this stuff down. And so he would take them out. Sometimes he would end up on a rock right above Philippi at a big cave that was known as the gates of hell. And he would say things like, on, 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 a, on the rock of the gospel, I'm gonna build my church and it's gonna rise up and stand up against the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not stand up against it. And you're like, oh, we're like right here. And it's the gates of hell. And it's incredible. Sometimes he'd be on a boat on the middle of the sea. And this giant storm would come. And he'd tell a story about giant storms. And he'd walk on the water. And you'd be like, whoa, shouting grounds. Tell somebody. Sometimes he would gather you up and say, now, there was once a master. And he had servants. And he gave each of the servants some money. Sometimes he would gather them up and say, now, there were there were, there, were, there were people with, with these lamps, these, these 10 people, and each of them had a lamp. And some, uh, sometimes he would say, there was a guy, he was a Samaritan, and he shouldn't have helped this other guy, but he did. So you'd tell these stories, and they weren't real stories, like actual events, but they were what we call parables. 
there were stories, sayings that Jesus would describe and, and, and they would force this thinking that you'd have to go beyond just hearing a story and you'd have to wrestle with the information. So oftentimes the disciples would sit around and Jesus would teach them something and they'd go, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? And, and you'd even hear them in scripture say, and, and they didn't know what it meant and they were trying to think through it and they're like, oh my goodness. Now, now remember the disciples, most of them are teens, right? They're, they're late teen years, some maybe early 20s, but for the most part, they would have been young adults, uh, late teens. John and James probably uh, were maybe early 20s. Peter was the only one that was probably older than that. And it was typical of a rabbi to have with him a couple of young guys and then one that was older that was kind of the, the father figure, the protector of the others. That's why Peter constantly, every time you see Peter, uh, he's like stepping in. He's like, okay, everybody stand back. I got this. Or he's jumping off some boat somewhere and he's swimming in the, or he's pulling some sword out. And Peter Peter's always the guy that's the first to speak because he was the protector, even Jesus. He was even protecting Jesus. So it's likely he was an older guy. And so Jesus is his leader, but at the same time, he's like, you ain't doing that. Not, not on my watch. We ain't going, we're not going there. Or they're not going to touch you. That was Peter. So these guys are around. And every time Jesus would teach in parable, uh, you, you'd, you'd hear some of their wrestle every now and then. I can just imagine I mean, James and John, they were, they were siblings, and, and so that always went badly. Uh, but I can imagine them walking and Jesus teaching some uh, incredible parable about, uh, about the, you know, some call, they're walking like, John, what do you think, John? What do you think it meant, man? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think maybe he's meaning this. And then James goes, ah, where do you come up with this idiocy? Peter, Peter, John's up there. I mean, can you just see this, the wrestle that goes on with those guys constantly? Because Jesus teaches in these wonderful, beautiful, parables. And, and then when you discover the meaning of a parable, do you know what that's worthy of? Not the water cooler. The shouting grounds. That's right. There was one time in the sequence of the story of Jesus that Jesus called the disciples together and he told them something. And at first, when you read it, it sounds very much like a parable. I want to read it to you. It was an amazing moment uh, in the story of Jesus. It's found in the book of Luke, and I want you to uh, just listen to this, or you can turn there if you like, but Luke uh, chapter 18, and, the, and the, the, the event takes place in verse 31 of Luke chapter 18. So just to give you a quick context, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem right now. Uh, this is actually days before he's going to go uh, into Jerusalem and, and go through the set of events that we celebrate on Holy Week and then end up on the, on the weekend that we celebrate this weekend um, in the events that are the Easter events, his crucifixion, his resurrection. All of that's about to happen. So we're days away from that, right? And, and Jesus gathers the guys up. They're on their way to Jerusalem. This is what he says, verse 31. Listen to this. And taking the 12, he, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And for the guys hearing that, they would have been super psyched. I'm telling you, they would have been like, Oh, this is incredible. Do you know why? Because their mindset, like many of the Jewish people during that time, was that Jesus was going to enter Jerusalem and the prophets had declared that he was going to set his people free like Moses once did. And so what he's going to do is he's going to overthrow the Roman government and he is going to set up his throne in Jerusalem and he's going to rule over all the world. And guess what the disciples figured? That they would be ruling in six little mini thrones on the right and six little mini thrones on the left. I'm not kidding. In fact, James and John at one point were fighting over making sure 
sure that their thrones were the one right on the right and the one right on the left. And they actually went to, listen to this, this is crazy. They went to their mom, it's in the Bible, and they were like, mom, you gotta talk to Jesus. When he reigns in Jerusalem, James needs to be on the one side and I need to be on the other. And none of those other bozos that travel with us should be taking one of those two spots. Will you talk to him, mom? This is the kind of ridiculous stuff that was going on with the teenage boys, right? And so these guys, in their mind, they had it clear. Jesus is rolling into Jerusalem. He's taken over. And so when Jesus says, guys, gather up, gather up. Now we're, we're heading up to Jerusalem. And when we get there, everything that the prophets spoke about, it's going to be accomplished. And they're like, boom, high five. Pow, pow. They're just excited. And then look what he says next. Look at this. For he, the Son of Man, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. Huh. It's a little different. And will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Huh. Not sure where this is going, but (laughs) hold on. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. So, So folks, that's really weird, okay? We're rolling into Jerusalem. Everything that the prophet said is going to be accomplished. And here's how it's going to go. The Gentiles are going to take me. They're going to flog me, beat me, spit on me. And then they're going to crucify me and I'm going to die. And then I'm going to come back to life after three days. Okay. So how did the disciples respond to this incredible piece of information? Right? Watch. This is so awesome. Look at this. Verse 34. But they understood none of these things. I mean, how do you hear that? And then go, uh, what do you think it means, James? I don't know, John. He's super weird sometimes. Pete, any ideas? I don't know, man. Well, how is that possible that someone could be this clear and that they missed the entire thing? Have you ever thought that? Well, actually, it's the very next line that clues us into why they missed it. Take a look. Look what it says. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. What is a saying? Is that a real thing? No, when we use sayings, they're not real, right? They're like parables. It's like when we're telling a parable. These events aren't actually going to take place the way I'm telling them. They have meaning, and so they are symbolic of other things. That's how the parables worked. And did Jesus teach in parables all the time? Yes. So if you're going into Jerusalem and expecting Jesus to set up his throne, and Jesus goes, we're going to go do it, and here's how it's going to go. I'm going to get overthrown by the Gentiles. I'm going to get flogged, beaten, and killed. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to raised from the dead on the third day, do you, do, do you actually go, oh, he means it? No, of course not. You're like, well, obviously that's not going to happen. So there must be some deeper meaning in this. Can you see the boys rolling into Jericho, chatting on the street? So what do you think he meant like with the whole Gentile thing? I'm going to be overcome with the Gentiles. Maybe, maybe that's when they're going like to try to get him and he's going to be like, Rah! and they're going to be like, ah! and it's going to be awesome. Well, what do you think he meant when he said like uh, that he's going to die and then rise from the dead? I don't know. Maybe like his throne rises from, I don't know. It's, uh, I, uh, when have we ever figured out anything he said? <laughs> but not one of them ever, I bet, never thought 
No, what he actually means, he's going to get overcome by the Gentiles. He's going to be beaten, flogged, and spit on, and he's going to be crucified. And then he's going to come back from the dead three days later. The possibility of that being what he meant was zero for these guys. Because it, there was no space in their heads that that would make any sense. Would it make sense to you not knowing what we know today because we are on the other side of these events? No, no one had ever risen from the dead before that except for the people Jesus rose from the dead and that wasn't on their own accord. And so uh, clearly this is not possible. <clears throat> Can you imagine what it must have been like for Peter, Peter the protector, to be standing in the shadows on the day of Christ's crucifixion. He was in the shadows partly because that was a scary time for all of them because they were all on the hook for being followers of Jesus. And remember he was in the shadows because the night before the crucifixion he had denied Christ three times. So he didn't belong to Christ and he didn't belong to the world anymore. He didn't belong to anyone. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Peter to stand in those shadows? watching the crucifixion take place. Remember, Persia invented the cross. You know why they invented it? To strip a human being of all of their dignity. The idea was, when somebody's done something so terrible that we want to show them that they are never wanted on this planet again, we need to strip them of all their dignity. That's why the cross stretches you out. It shows every part of you. You are stripped naked and you hang there bleeding to death on a slow death so that even your breathing is labored because they want to tell you, you have nothing left. And you know who took the cross and perfected it into a horrific machine of suffering? The Romans. And on that cross hung Jesus. Can you imagine what must have been going through Peter's head that day? How did everything go so wrong so fast? Just days before, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey and he was hailed the king of kings. Yeah. Just, just hours after that, he walked into the temple and he cleared the temple out of all the robbers and thieves and he threw tables around and he took the whip and he whipped people and they left the temple and he cleansed his house. Just hours before he sat at a large table with them in an upper room and he shared beautiful, mysterious things with them like, I'm going away, don't be afraid, I'm going to come back, I'm praying for your unity, wash each other's feet because the world needs to know they follow you. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, these parables are amazing. <laughs> Judas, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to uh, stand against me and, and you're going to betray me. Whoa, Judas was never our favorite, but boy, that's harsh. I wonder what that means. See, all this mysterious stuff that was hours before, and now he stands, and he thinks back. I mean, the garden, can you imagine? I mean, in the garden, Jesus seemed heavy that night, but the guys weren't expecting anything weird. Uh, they were just supposed to keep watch, and they fell asleep, and Jesus was a little ticked about that. Um, but then it was okay, and then some soldiers showed up, and you know who was with, with the soldiers? Judas. Judas. You remember what Pete did when the soldiers came? you want him you go through me he was ready to die for the for the war for the fight he chopped some guy's ear off and jesus goes pete put the sword down man i got this sword goes back you know how confusing that must have been for him he's the protector he's the big boy he was tasked with protecting this posse and now jesus goes not now and then they took jesus Peter followed at a distance, and remember, he watched the whole trial. 
waiting for it to turn a corner, and it never did. And now he stands watching the cross, wondering how things went so wrong so fast. When Jesus died on the cross and they took his limp body off the cross and stuck it in a cave, rolled a big rock in front of it and sealed it with a Roman seal and put soldiers in front of it because Pontius Pilate knew there were rumors about his resurrection, which the disciples didn't really believe. But uh, Pontius knew if somebody stole that body, man, and that gets out, it, it gets bad. So Peter knew the story was over. They're sitting in a room hiding because they realize that if they could take Jesus, they're going to come take them next. And the strangest thing happens. It's a few chapters later in the book of Luke, and I want you to listen to this part of the story. In Luke chapter 24, in verse 1, it starts this way. Listen. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, they as the woman that were with the disciples, went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Now, the very fact that they were taking spices tells us what their mindset was, right? Were they going to find an empty tomb to see a risen Christ? No, because the spices are prepared to put onto the linens that are wrapped around the body to preserve the body from rotting too quickly, okay? So they were going to the the tomb expecting to find a dead body that they would prepare so that it would not rot fast. And that's what they were showing up to do. Their expectation was show up, their soldiers around the tomb, the sun rises, they move the rock, and they are allowed into the tomb to prepare prepare the body. That's what they're expecting. They get to the tomb. The soldiers are gone. The rock is rolled away. And the woman, a bit panicky, head into the tomb thinking something's gone wrong. Listen to what happens. And after they see what's in the tomb, which by the way, was an empty tomb with no body. Did they think the body was stolen? Oh, no, no. Watch this. Watch this. Here it is. Ready? Verse 8 of chapter 24. Here's where everything begins to change. Watch. And they remembered his words. I mean, I get goosebumps. Don't you get goosebumps? Never making any of the connections, thinking everything was was theoretical. They're standing in an empty tomb, and one of the women must have said, Do you guys remember what he said? What do you mean? What do you mean, Mary? Do you remember what he said? I think this is what he meant. I think this is what he meant. They get so crazy that they run out. One of the gospels tells us they ran back to the guy's house and they burst through the door and they were mumbling so much that one of the guys said, what is wrong with you? Uh, You've never been there with a woman, have you? Where she's so excitable and she's mumbling and you're like, stop, I'm a guy, I can't keep up. Those ladies run into that house and they start going nuts. Like, and, and then you got to, Peter, you got you to go to the, we were just there. And it's just, the soldiers were gone. And, and finally they get it out. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. It's all true. He is risen. And look at this. Look at this. This is so crazy. Verse 11 of chapter 24 of Luke. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. That's what the guy's response was. Wouldn't it seem like an idle tale to you? Do you see how there's no connections made between what Jesus said and what actually happened? Except for Peter. See, Peter's sitting in this room very quiet, not saying a word. And he never does. 
He never does. He's listening to the woman and he's listening to these guys argue. What are you talking about? You guys are crazy. You went to the wrong tomb. You're not thinking straight. We're tired from all the craziness. And Peter just listens and finally he can't take it anymore and listen to what it says. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. We find out in another gospel that John and James ran right behind him as they typically always did. Where's Pete going, James? I don't know where he's going. Well, we should go. Something's happening. We got to go. And they take off and they chase Pete and he's hurting and he gets to the tomb by himself and he, and he gets there and he stoops down and he looks into the tomb and he sees the cloth laying there with no body. The body is gone. And we know that in that moment, in his mind, God allows him to make all the connections. Do you know how we know that? Because of the next sentence. Listen to what it says. And looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Isn't that a beautiful word? Marveling. See, you don't marvel at the fact that somebody stole a body. You don't walk around like, I'm... I just, I have no idea how they did it. I mean, there were soldiers and there was a rock and then they took the soldiers out and then they rolled the rock away and they stole. I don't know how they would have stolen the body. I can't wait to find out. So you don't marvel about stuff like that. What you marvel about is something much bigger than that. So when Peter looked into that tomb, God allowed his connections to be made. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like? I have tried for the last two days straight and I keep finding myself in tears every time I think because have you ever been in one of those places where, where you experience news that's very unexpected and it's very big and it's very shocking and for a few seconds you can't breathe and you can't process and you're trying to think, you really are, you're trying but you can't even think straight and then you start making all these connections. Have you ever felt weak in the knees? Have you ever felt that way? I have gotten news in my life that has made me feel weak, that I've had to steady myself for a second because I'm like, I, I don't even know if I can physically stand and hold this position. We usually feel it when we receive news that, that is out of left field and we're like, we, we, we gain something we never thought we would or we lose someone we never thought we would, right? And we just, we have to steady ourselves. I can totally see it. I really can. Peter steadying himself against the edge of that rock wall and it starts going through his head. He goes backwards. He goes backwards to the Last Supper and he thinks about the words Jesus said, I'm leaving for a while. I'm gonna come back. This has got to happen. It's a place you can't go. And it all starts making sense. And he's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then he goes backwards yet a little bit more. And he, the, the week's events and he's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is what it meant. And then can you imagine when his brain finally arrived at that little gathering? Hey guys, gather up. We're going to Jerusalem. Yes? And all the prophecies are going to come true as they said. And then he goes through it. Hold on. What did he say? What did he say? He said the Gentiles would take him. And then what did he say? He said they would beat him. Yes. And they would flog him. Yes. And they would spit on him. I remember specifically when they did that. And then he said, oh my gosh, he said it. He would die. He would die. This wasn't a parable. See, it wasn't a parable. It was just facts. He wasn't trying to show us something, some deep meaning. He was just telling us how it was going to go so we wouldn't be afraid. And then what was that last thing he said? That he would rise from the dead. Oh my gosh. He actually did. He actually did. 
Can you imagine walking out of that tomb realizing he actually did? What does that mean? See, everything that was big is bigger. Everything that was awesome is awesomer. And walking back marveling at the fact that he wasn't, he wasn't telling us a parable. Now you think, you're sitting here and you think this is awesome. Because this is shouting grounds kind of stuff, isn't it? You're like, take me to the shouting grounds right now. I've got to go tell everybody he is risen. But here's the cool part. Though that was the pinnacle of God's redemptive work for our souls, it was just the beginning of our story. And it was just the beginning of our shouting grounds. Do you know what happened after that? They got back to the room and they were fussing about whether Jesus really rose or whether he didn't and what was really going on. And they were like, oh my gosh, I think he did. And Thomas, Thomas was the one with the smart questions. Why we call him Doubting Thomas is the dumbest thing on planet earth in my opinion. He is no more doubting than anybody else in that room. Thomas was the only kid smart enough to actually ask the right questions every time there was one. Thomas was the one when Jesus said, I'm gonna go to a place and you know where I'm going. And Thomas is like, "Uh, just uh, FYI, none of us know where where you're going. So these bozos are pretending they do, but they don't. I don't know either. Could you just tell us? Every time it's Thomas. And Thomas, I bet, was in that room that day as they're going about. And Peter's like, I'm telling you, he was not kidding. It was not a parable. It was real. And Thomas is like, has anyone considered the fact that maybe the body was stolen? What? I'm just saying. Have you seen him? I haven't seen him. I haven't. Has he shown up? If he's risen from the dead... Why did he come see us? It's been like a long time, and I don't see him. And then the other guys are like, yeah, yeah, Peter, what about that? I'm telling you, he's risen. He's going to come. Well, when's he going to come? I mean, I'm not saying he didn't rise. I'm just saying, has anybody considered this? Because Thomas was the logical one. And you know what happens right in the middle of that stinking argument? The Bible says, I mean, the, the argument I'm making up, but... The Bible says that, just, I want to be honest that it's not actually in the Bible because you're going to look for it and you're going to be like, it's not in there. No, the argument I'm making up, but the fact that Thomas was the one going, I'm just not sure about this, that I'm not making up. And it says, while they were wrestling with all this, uh, the door was locked and suddenly Jesus was in the room. Do you know what that means? I'm just saying, you know what that means? He walked through a stinking wall. I mean, how awesome is that? That by itself is worth the shouting grounds. But that's not even the cool part. He walks right through the wall and he's like, hey guys. And they're like, oh! And everyone in the room's thinking the same thing, right? Is it really him? Except Thomas is the one that says it and that's why we call him Doubting Thomas. It's so unfair. So he goes, is it really you? And Jesus goes, yes, it is. That was a great question, Thomas. Come and see. And he comes over and he touches his wounds. And that's when he says, Thomas, really all of you, you guys don't yet know how to believe well. But don't worry, because I'm going to help you. Is that worth the shouting grounds? Uh, but that's not the end. Hold on, hold on. So later on, just a, just a few weeks later, the guys have been with Jesus on multiple shouting ground occasions. You can go read about them. And then they end up standing on the side of a mountain and Jesus tells them, guys, listen, the entire story all along was for me to hand you the keys to the kingdom of God, to empower you with the power of God and to send you into all the world with life and light and freedom to go be redemptive on my behalf. You're gonna be on mission for me, boys. And then he listened. You ready for this? He 
actually floated up into heaven. He ascended. I mean, can you imagine? Is that not shouting grounds? Like, where do you go with that? I mean, you're like, pull it. Oh, this is YouTube. This is viral. This is crazy. <laughs> That's shouting grounds material. But hey, it gets better. They go to Jerusalem just a few, a few days later and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and empowers them and they preach the most extraordinary, powerful messages and thousands come to know Jesus. And a community is born that we know as the early New Testament church and it becomes the standard by which we function. And out of that community, the gospel spreads from Jerusalem to, to Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as it spreads, it brings with it life and redemption and freedom. Is that not worth the shouting grounds? And wait, that is not where it ends it has not even begun. Because these boys that spend time with Jesus, they begin to write letters back and forth to the churches. And God preserves those letters for us and puts them into a collection that we know as the scriptures living and breathing the life of God himself in here. And he allows us access to all those thoughts. And you know what those thoughts are? They are the implications of a risen savior. And you know what we get to do every single stinking day? We get to open this puppy up and discover a new and wondrous truth that is worthy of the shouting grounds. You want to hear some of them? How about this one? You were once slaves to sin, captivated by the things of this world, but he has set you free and you are now slaves to freedom. That's worthy of the shouting grounds. How about this one? Ephesians 2 uh, verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions, but by his great love, he has made you alive in Christ. That's shouting ground stuff. Well, how about this one? While you were still his enemies, he died for you to give you life. And if he would do that to you, how much more will he not give you all that is yours in Christ now that you belong to him? Romans 5, you were once against God, but you are at peace with God now because Jesus Christ died for you. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, the old is gone, the new has come. You were once lost, but you were found. I can go on and on. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that you have been set free. So stop shackling yourself to your shame and your old life and walk into that freedom, but don't use it to indulge your insanity and selfishness and sinfulness for destruction, but use it to serve one another in love because in this you will find life. There is no end to the truths that are waiting to be discovered for the shouting grounds. How have we gotten this so wrong, people? That we come to church and think, that once we've discovered the gospel and we know that our eternity is set, that we have to survive this planet. And in the meantime, what do we do in church? We gather up and we say, God wants you to behave well. So I'm going to give you another thing to behave by so you can be a good person and then you can die and be in heaven. I'm like, what? This is not the story. You see, the story is a story of shouting grounds over and over again. Wondrous things to discover that will set you free and cause you to find yourself captivated by the wonders of who Christ is, who he has made you and I, and what we get to do now. Ready? Here's one for you. Ready? Ephesians 2.10. For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance for you to get to do. How are we not on the shouting grounds every day? 
and all of this, all of it, because he is risen. Welcome to Easter. Welcome to Easter. Let's pray. God, you are stinking amazing. You really are. I stand here in awe of how you even kept Peter and the guys from figuring it all out until he stood at that, at that empty tomb and it all began to make sense to him and he was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is what he meant. God, give us eyes to see the wonder that is in your word. Give us eyes to see the wonder that is around us every day. Give us eyes to discover the incredible truths waiting for us to find so that we might be captivated by your awesome wonder and freedom and that we would go out every day and not carry some, some silly message about some gospel that we awkwardly share with our friends and try to convince them and convert them to follow you, but help us instead to be so captivated by the wonders and the truths and the beauty beauty that we discover in your word that we cannot but help ourselves to end up at our water coolers on our shouting grounds and to say, you have no idea what it is like to know Jesus. God, this is where we want to live. Help us see it. Because we stand here in awe of the fact that you were not telling a parable when you told those guys how it would go down but you were just telling them how it was going to be so they wouldn't be afraid. We are unafraid because we see you, Jesus, and you are risen indeed. And we are grateful, grateful that you have given yourself for us so that we might not only wait around on this planet to die and be in heaven, but that we might invade the dark spaces of this planet and be redemptive on your behalf, carrying your mission and your kingdom into the world so that we might be carriers of light and life and freedom. God, send us out. Make us strong. Show us your wonder so that we might shout it from the shouting grounds to everyone who will listen. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Amen, amen.